0: Welcome to CB Talks, a podcast from SilverCloud Health, the leading global provider of evidence-based well-being and behavioral health solutions. I'm Dr. Jorge Palacios, senior digital health scientist. And in each episode, I explore the science of digital mental health. I'm joined by leading mental health practitioners, experts, and advocates, as we consider how the latest research can be used to empower those using its services. In today's episode, I'm going to look at the impact that our financial situation can have on our mental health. Mental health and money problems are often closely linked, and in fact, around half of people who are in debt also have a mental health problem. This has been a strong point of discussion in the media recently, and it's imperative that we don't dismiss the way that money worries may affect our mental health, and instead seek the necessary support with the right information at hand. Today we're talking to Dr. Thomas Richardson, who's Associate Professor of Clinical Psychology at the University of Southampton, and he's an expert in the relationship between financial difficulties and mental health. Thomas has previously worked on a doctorate thesis surrounding the impact of tuition fees on student mental health. So we're really excited to learn more about his expertise across his years in research and as a clinical psychologist. So Tom, thanks so much again for joining us. It's a pleasure to see you, albeit virtually. Thank you for Um, having me. Yeah, we we missed the face to face, (laughs) but here we are, right? Yes, indeed. So, look, I mean, um, obviously listeners will be looking to hear all about your opinions and thoughts on this relationship between mental health and financial difficulties, problems, et cetera. But before we get to that, I do want to um, ask you more about your career in general and how you came to be an expert in in this area. Some people might call it a niche area to be an expert in, right? Yeah. But it's so interesting and so important and so it's great that you you are but how did you know your
1: your life journey take you down this road? So how I got into this so when I was training in my doctorate in clinical psychology um, here at the University of Southampton where I now work so that was back in 2010 and at the time the government was thinking about increasing tuition fees here in the UK if you were in England and Wales it was going to go up from 3,500 a year up to potentially 9,000 a year just from one change to the next from one year to the next and there was lots of you know debates in the media and in houses of parliament about like is this a good thing should we be doing this and just as a trainee clinician I was getting frustrated that well why is no one talking about the potential impact on mental health you know people were talking about will this discourage uh, people from poorer backgrounds going to university etc. But no one's talking about what's this going to do to student mental health. And I I knew from some work that I'd actually done at at Trinity College Dublin with Derek Richards, now with Silver Cloud, we'd done some work about student mental health. And so I knew from that, that not surprisingly, you know, there's a link between financial difficulties in students and, and poor mental health. So basically, I was frustrated by this and a little bit bored one day. I think it was a snow day and I was literally just like snowed in and I wrote a letter to a journal just saying, why is no one talking about this? Why is no one talking about what this tuition fees increase would do to mental health? And then I cited a paper in that. They got in touch with me and said, why don't we put this to the test? And then that ended up becoming, because we have to do a a research project in your final year of the doctorate. So that became my research project. And I carried that on. So I, I looked at the impact of tuition fees, but I carried on following up those people for a bit after I'd qualified And then I've I've been working in the NHS in a community mental health team for adults. So more of the kind of severe and enduring complex mental health problems. And when I worked in there, I then kind of saw about, yeah, just how strong that link was and the impact of real deprivation and poverty had on my service users. So I then kind of became quite interested in applying that to quite complex populations. So bipolar disorder, for example, has always been a, a research interest of mine as someone with lived experience of bipolar disorder myself. And when I was doing a a meta analysis looking at all the all the research on mental health and debt and what was the link, there was nothing about bipolar disorder, which I found really hard to believe because you know, just working in mental health services, it's just assumed that people with bipolar disorder, when they are manic, will impulsively spend and get themselves into hot water. You know, it's literally in the diagnostic criteria, but Mm -hmm. no one has researched it. So and then I ended up doing a bit of work around bipolar disorder as well. So it's kind of grown a little bit. And now at the University of Southampton, that's a big part of my research is trying to extend this research here about finances and mental health. And yeah, looking at the the psychological aspects in particular, um, but trying to move forwards and think more about, about interventions and therapy and what we can do about it, really.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for that whirlwind tour. And I heard you say a couple of times you know, that you were surprised that no one was actually looking into it deeper. And I moved to London in 2011. Mm. Um, I heard a lot about it in the media, about the tuition fees, because it was a broken campaign promise. You know, people were very angry, upset about it. Everyone talking about it was stressed out. Like, it's it's a natural link, you know? This is going to make my life harder, Mm. you know? So by proxy... My mental health is going to be affected. It's, you know, when you talk about it, it's such an obvious link, right? And yet, despite the fact that it was in the political landscape and you know the political section of the news, why isn't it in the health and mental health section? You know, um, yeah, absolutely. So, awesome about yeah, yeah. So it's great that you asked that question to the point that you did research. And can I ask a little bit more about what you found? I mean, was there anything? that surprised you
1: did it just confirm all your um, hypotheses? so it was comparing people who started in 2011 where it was three and a half grand to people who started in 2012 when it was up to nine grand and then we also could compare to people from scotland and maybe northern ireland i think as well where they, they don't have tuition fees it's a different system mm. there so we had kind of a natural like you know cohort Control. there, a natural kind yeah. of experiment and we followed them up at four time points across their first sort of year or two of university so we measured depression anxiety stress general mental health and um, alcohol problems and i was expecting there to be like a pronounced difference between those two groups but actually we found there wasn't much of a difference so at four time points there was only one time point where those who were paying the higher fees were worse off mental health wise the rest of the time points there wasn't a difference and actually, this was quite surprising, but it kind of makes sense when you think about it. The people who were paying less fees had higher levels of alcohol problems. And that probably purely just because if you're more able to you have more disposable income and, to spend on alcohol. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think there's there's studies to back that up, for example, showing that, you know, that's why there's the kind of minimum unit of alcohol in Scotland now, because there's been studies, I think it's in Finland, that shows that if the amount of tax on alcohol goes down considerably, then alcohol problems will go up. But it was surprising. Mm -hmm. But what I then found is I I looked into it in a bit more detail. And rather than comparing based on tuition fees, I looked at how much you could pay the bills. So it was like a a measure of like, I've I've had to borrow money. I haven't had enough electricity. I haven't been able to eat enough. So basically a measure of how broke you are, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really strongly predictive of, and this was over time. So it was like, after we've accounted for how depressed you were, does your depression get worse over time if you're struggling to pay the bills? And it did for you know depression, for anxiety, for psychotic symptoms, for eating disorder risk as well. They all increased over time. Wow. To an extent, it worked both ways. And that's something that will not be surprising to any clinicians listening to this or any people with lived experience this idea of a vicious circle. So financial difficulties increased anxiety and eating disorder risk, but it worked both ways. So the people who are more anxious, the people who had a greater eating disorder risk, also their finances appeared to sort of get worse over time. And we also found that, yeah, there was some evidence that people from poorer families their went to health deteriorated over time. Mm-hmm. And if you asked people, so people who said either I I've thought about dropping out of university because of financial worries or I contemplated not coming in the first place because of my worries about money, their depression was also kind of worse over time. But I think what I've come to the conclusion of for that study is when you're in your first year, maybe you don't worry too much about your student loan. You know, you're hopefully having fun and, you know, hopefully getting stuck into your studies and, you know, maybe you're, you're not kind of worrying about it what seems to be more important than your loan and your tuition fees is actually can you get by financially exactly and also how much another item was just how much you worried about your finances that was the key but the thing is with the with this increase in tuition fees you know at the time some economists were saying probably most people will never pay this off so actually what one of the things i'm planning now is i'm going to try and look again at those cohorts like a new study fresh study but because i suspect the differences kind of started off minimal but they've kind of maybe gone like that over time because when you're in your first year you probably don't worry too much about your student loan exactly but what about when you're in your late 20s which they are now this this cohort and you're paying back the debt maybe you're thinking about can i ever afford a house maybe you're thinking Mm -hmm, about mm -hmm. am i going to start a family can I afford to get married, you know, and then maybe that stuff starts to bite. So, well, thanks for that. That's
0: really, really interesting. You know, I really look forward to seeing the results now of what you see in this this cohort. You've talked about that relationship between financial worries and mental health problems, but I want to make sure that we talk about, and then you say, like, why is it a bi-directional relationship? Because it's not that you know, financial concerns can cause mental health problems, but also mental health difficulties can cause financial difficulties in turn. Like you mentioned about bipolar patients in their manic phase, but can you just talk more about that relationship directly?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, just to pick up on what you said about the the debt, you know, there's something about I suspect about the different types of debt having a different impact, you know, so maybe student loan is different from like a credit card debt because it's, Hmm. it's like debt for a purpose, you know, you're doing it for a reason rather than kind of racking up credit card, which is purely just to be able to get by. So the research I did with bipolar disorder showed that, yeah, again, it's not so much how much debt you're in and other people's research actually that's not as important as how much you worry about it how stressed you are about it and you know I did some training to various kind of student support services so counseling services and financial support services and they said well that makes sense to me because you know you get one person who is a hundred pounds in their overdraft and they're really really stressed about it and then you've got another person who's several thousand pounds in debt and they're not that bothered yeah. by it you know yeah. and there's lots yeah. of things so that impact that right it is yeah. it is subjective and that's where, as a psychologist, hopefully we can intervene. But in terms of the vicious cycle, I think overall, what my the evidence I've done so far is that it does work both ways. It's probably a bit stronger that financial difficulties worsens mental health over time than the other way around. But it definitely does work both ways. And one of the things we did with bipolar disorders, we we just did interviews with people about it, and they said about this this vicious cycle. And there are a few reasons for that. So, you know, one is that if you're depressed or anxious, you know, as you know, you you tend to avoid a lot of stuff that's difficult because it feels overwhelming, right? You you stay in bed, you don't talk to people. So, why would finances be any different? So, you know, we had people saying when they're depressed, they literally let the bills pile up and then chuck them in the bin, or they don't answer the phone because it might be a you know, yeah. it might be a debt collector money's complicated. They don't teach you this stuff in school. I I still can't really tell you what APR is, for example, you know. Um, And I think it's complicated for all of us to keep on top of finances. But when you're depressed, it's even worse. That's a great point, because it it speaks to me personally. I mean,
0: like every time I hear, oh, you know, let's sit down and look at our Finances and like really count where everything is going. I'm like, no, please, let you know whatever <laughs> yeah, <laughs> For yeah. else you know. No. <laughs> and often it's only when you have to, absolutely have to. Yeah. When you realize that, okay, yeah, I mean, this is unsustainable. And when it starts to affect you, is when you like find the time to do it. But if if that's already affected you to the point that like your you know your depression just makes you avoid all of that because that's normal symptoms.
1: We've um, all had that, haven't we? Yeah, Where depression. we, you know, yeah. we don't want to look at your bank balance because you know it's the end of the month yeah. or. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you multiply, <laughs> it's nice that, to see a big number. Not so nice yeah. when it's small. Yeah. So if you multiply that by ten, in terms of if you're depressed, you know it's even more. People will just just kind of shut off. But there's other ways in terms of the ways that mental health problems can make you more vulnerable. I mean, you know, first of all, unfortunately, you know, people with quite serious mental health problems, it can be hard to hold down a job they might have to go for part-time gig economy less paid and it was hard to hear these interviews with bipolar people saying i had to take you know a big pay cut i had to go to kind of part-time etc and there's been a lot of research you know over the years about about psychosis and there's quite a strong link between people from kind of low socioeconomic status deprived areas being more risk of psychosis again it's a little bit unclear which comes first but You know, if if you grow up in a very poor background, there's lots of risk factors for mental health problems. You might be more likely to be the victim of crime, for example, if you grow up in a deprived or high crime area. But then also, you know, if you if you're struggling to pay the bills, you're relying on on benefits and welfare, then you're more likely to have to live in an area that's quite deprived. So there's it's all interlinked. It is, and it, it it's complicated. I I started off saying I researched debt and mental health, and now I say money and mental health more broadly because. So like the more I research this, the more I realize, I confuse myself and realize how complicated it is because it's all interlinked. You know, there's so many misconceptions about
0: mental health and you know bipolar disorder, and so like it's easy to to talk about it in such simple terms. And here you are adding all these layers. You know, obviously working in the digital health sphere and and understanding that technology is is, you know, prevalent in our society in many ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it helps in many ways, but also hinders in others. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between technology and money and finance, how it may create some problems, but also some solutions? What has been your experience of that?
1: Yeah, so it's definitely a theme um, I've noticed with bipolar disorder is, if if you're prone to impulse spending, which a lot of people with mental health problems are, not just bipolar disorder, but maybe especially bipolar disorder, yeah, the problem is that financial tech has made everything easier. It's gone less friction, right? You know, So contactless payments, to pay things with your watch, websites, remember your card details, apps, store your card details. And that's convenient for most people. But if you're prone to impulse spending, that is a real issue. So you can take out a loan just with an app. You don't have to go into a bank. You can just ding, 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 buy with contactless. So that is a real problem. And I think one of the suggestions I give to people with bipolar disorder in particular, but, you know, impulse spending is just trying to put as much friction as you can between. So, you know, maybe don't have the website save your card details. Maybe go out with just a bit of cash rather than a card and then you're only going to spend so much. There is some positive movement in terms of quite a few financial providers in the UK now have gambling blocks that people can impose on their own accounts to just block any gambling transactions for people with problem gambling, which is great. I'd like to see something similar, but it's more complicated for, you know, people who have impulse spending problems as well. Um, and that's something I'm, I'm working on with some colleagues around kind of finance and computer tech sphere around, can we use technology as a bit of a solution there? So positive friction, I think that term has been used with gambling, positive friction. And I think if we can do the same thing for impulse spending as well. But I think as well, you know, we spoke about avoiding finances and I think with more apps and open banking where you can have, you know, apps that pull in data from lots of different accounts you've got, it actually potentially makes it easier because it's easier to manage, you know, maybe rather than having loads of different bank accounts and paper statements, if you've got it all in one, maybe that feels a little bit more manageable because you can see your outgoings, you can see your incomings, and it's hopefully a little bit easier to actually manage it and keep it on touch with it, you know, so you've got apps which have sort of budgeting tools for example and um, help you find the best deal on that kind of thing so there is definitely it, it can be a problem it can also be a solution i'm um, i'm certainly trying to work on how it can maybe prevent impulse spending rather than at the moment it, it tends to make it easier unfortunately
0: yeah yeah a uh, great point again some some really important concepts that you're introducing there to a lot of people i mean of course, we think of technology as super convenient, but for a lot of people, it, it's really a problem. It creates more problems than it, it's too convenient. Than it's so it's exactly a little too convenient. What can people do if money is impacting their, their mental health and how can therapy help? Like, What are the psychological mechanisms and how can therapy help?
1: Yeah, so my research has shown in other people's research that there are lots of psychological mechanisms here. So one of the things we found is hope is really important in linking financial problems with depression, anxiety. And so is shame more important than how much you can pay the bills is how ashamed you are. So I think, first of all, I just want to say, you know, to know that you're not alone, you know, we've been through COVID and that, that has had a big impact because of mental health wise, because of the financial impact of being furloughed, et cetera. And we are, Unfortunately, in a really in the UK, a really challenging cost of living crisis at the moment with record inflation. So, I just want people to know that you are not alone with it. We need to, as a as a society, but as therapists, try and pour some cold water over that shame. So that that's just kind of one thing: knowing you're not alone, trying to be kind to yourself about that, and modelling that as therapists. But in terms of the hope as well, I think anything you can do to be a little bit more on top of your finances is going to help with that. I appreciate this. This It's really difficult with the cost of living as things are and the energy costs. And I don't want to come across as naive here saying this because I know we're really up against it in terms of all of these financial struggles. But I do think there are things we can do as therapists and psychologists, and there are things that people can do. So we know the avoidance of finances. We know as therapists how to tackle that, don't we, in terms of like facing fears, anxiety. And I think for for individuals... can feel overwhelming but if you can try and just take a couple of small steps you know try and work with one bill then work with another you know step by step trying to ask for help early is a really important thing because again research i've shown that active coping trying to actively change it and having some sense of like agency some sense of control over a situation and having better self-esteem about it feeling like you can do something about it that's really protective that helps protect from the the impact of financial difficulties. so contacting debt advice charities etc if you're in debt it is hard and i appreciate that but anything that helps you feel a little bit more hopeful about the future and maybe gives you a few practical suggestions about what can be done um, for the financial situation anything that helps you feel a little bit more on top of it is is going to be a really positive thing one of the things we showed with bipolar disorder is mindfulness predicts impulsive spending. So there's definitely a role for mindfulness in terms of helping people be more aware of their impulse spending, but also, I think, just trying to focus attention away from the ruminations about money, for example. And as therapists, there's there's going to be a lot of unhelpful thinking patterns there, a lot of catastrophizing that we can work with with CBT. But there's also going to be some thoughts that are completely realistic. You know, you know, there is a real cost of living crisis. And sometimes it's not about challenging the thoughts. For example, I'm, I'm going bankrupt. You can't challenge that thought as, you know, catastrophizing if it's true. But as therapists, we can hopefully help people feel a little bit less ashamed, a bit kinder to themselves. And I, I personally use kind of some elements of it, act acceptance and commitment therapy, which is all about values and what really matters to you so you know okay I I can't go on holiday with my kids anymore but how can I be like a a, a caring parent a fun parent even if you know I'm going bankrupt we're in this you know really difficult financial situation
0: yeah thanks and I'll I'll go back to a couple of things you said but what you just said right there what really matters you know it's interesting because that's a theme that's that I've seen and then talked about even due to the pandemic right because Mm. the pandemic Was an external thing that we couldn't control and that prevented us from doing a lot of the things that we like to do, like going on holiday. And, you know, it did make people, I think, think more about what really mattered to them. Going for a walk, going out into nature has nothing to do with money, but it's also absolutely fair that the current there's a, there's a financial crisis looming. There's a lot of things happening that are, again, beyond our control. And what can you do to alleviate that internally and also mm. externally? Yeah, I
1: think it, it is about trying to do as much as you can. And I appreciate at the moment it, it might feel like there's there's not a whole lot we can do with, you know, the energy bill skyrocketing. and But being as active you can in terms of trying to be careful with the budget, trying to get financial advice where you can, trying to find new deals, that kind of thing, and be as much as you can. And then when you have kind of done as much as you can, yeah, it is about, and this is where therapy techniques and psychology comes in trying to, okay, it's a really difficult situation, but how helpful is it to worry about that all the time, you know? And, you know, we're
0: here in this podcast, people hopefully are
1: are getting a lot of valuable information.
0: I'm I'm sure they are, whoever's listening, but, you know, outside of this podcast, outside of, Visiting you in your office, um, you, you might get flooded with requests, uh, Thomas. But you know what resources are out there for people.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I've been working with Silver Clouds um, over the last few years is developing space for money worries, which is online CBT you know, using the Silver Cloud platform, and it's based on all the kind of research I was telling you about, all those psychological mechanisms we know about that link finances and mental health. So it's Helps you challenge negative thoughts about money, reducing worry about it, but also tries to hopefully help people face their financial fears, you know, rather than avoiding bills. There's some sort of practical techniques about impulse spending and how mindfulness can help maybe prevent that. And there's also some stuff there about trying to feel more a bit more confident and less shame and a bit more hope you know if if you are going through a really financially tough time like i said thinking about your values and what really matters and how you can do what's important to keep your you know lift your mood even if you're you're really struggling financially so that's something that we developed and it's being used now which is great so there are sources out there but I, i think the key thing is here you know if your mental health is impacting money and vice versa, it's trying to get help with kind of both at the same time. So also trying to think about GP or referring to your IAP service, you know, trying to tackle both things at the same time. And I think, you know, what I'd like to see moving forwards, is more integration between these. If we can get more kind of financial advisors working more closely with mental health services or GPs, um, anything that helps join those services is going to be a really positive thing because they're so overlapping. If you're in debt, you're three times more likely to have a mental health problem. So they're, they're so overlapping that we need to work on both at the same time, as an individual, but also in terms of services and as a society. You know, The more we can join those dots, the better.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that intimate relationship, just knowing that it exists and accepting it is hugely important because people might not consider, hmm, maybe I should tell my GP, or ask, you know, um, push for a referral to mental health services because, no, I mean, I'm not depressed, I'm anxious, I just have money problems. But if it's clearly stressing you out and and because of how intimate the relationship is, it probably is stressing you out to the point that it's blocking you from focusing on other things. Just knowing that's available and that can help is really important. You've given us so many gold nuggets of tips of you know just thinking about it in different ways again reconceptualizing it i think we covered a lot and it was super super interesting i i was um i was worried we wouldn't have a chance to cover everything because it's such a complex topic and i just want to thank you so much for joining and speaking to it and i'm sure people will be able to look you up and read your publications as well which um Obviously go into a lot more detail about your research and things like that. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. My special thanks to my guest today, Dr. Thomas Richardson, for sharing all his brilliant insights on this topic. To hear more conversations surrounding digital mental health, you can listen to all the previous episodes of CB Talks online and find us wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be back next time looking at another way in which digital technologies are involved in mental health. I hope to see you then.